it, Sarah. It's uh, mm-hmm. it's been quite a busy week or two for us, haven't we, hasn't it? So this might be a little bit shorter and conciser yep. than the normal. And Sarah, you're not feeling that great either. No, I haven't had the, the C, but I've had uh, a nasty head cold. But uh, this is the clearest my voice has been all week. And actually, it's it's, it's almost there. But yes, I've been a, at a croak most of the week. Sounds pretty good to me. I have to be honest. Yeah, I think it's pretty, pretty normal, but it's, it's sometimes it goes. So we'll see. Let's we'll see. We'll see. Let's just we see what on. happens. <laughs> Before we get into the fills, which we'll do pretty swiftly, I would say, I don't really know if I've kind of seen any uh, new films. I, I did see Serrano that I think I forgot mm-hmm. to mention. I actually saw that a couple of weeks ago. And obviously because we reviewed Serrano de Bergerac, it was quite interesting watching that. It, I mean, absolutely didn't have the punch at all compared to Gerard Depardieu's film. And yeah, it was a bit strange, I found. It looked beautiful. The film looked mm. beautiful, but it almost felt like it didn't need to be a musical. You could have just done away with the music and done it just as a straight drama and it would have been just as good. I didn't find the musical element that impactful. And Peter Dinklage, don't get me wrong, I'm not saying he's anywhere in the league of like Piers Bros- Brosnan on Mamma Mia level, but I mean, he didn't have an amazing voice. Anyway, I think that's the last kind of most recent film I've seen. What about you? Anything? So, yeah, I watched The, the Adam Flop Project. It's on Netflix. It's got uh, Ryan Reynolds. Jennifer Gartner, um, Mark Ruffalo and Zoe Zaldana uh, in it. And also it's got this very cute kid who actually does look like a, a mini version of Ryan Reynolds. I did want to debate whether it could be his son in it. And it's Walker, Walker uh, Scobell is in it and he's a very cute kid. But it's, yeah, it's set in, um, it's kind of time travelling. So directed by the same person that did Free Guy, uh, Sean Le- uh, Levy, and a just genuine good film to watch it is 12, set for 12 12 year olds there is a little bit of swearing in it in it what's that word in it so be careful of that if you're watching it with younger kids uh, so you don't get any surprises there but yeah great star cast and good fun and i i love watching ryan reynolds anyway um because he's just he's just a good laugh really and, he, and that's exactly the kind of character he portrayed in in free guy as well so a good watch there he seems to just cornered that market of just good kind of comedic family mm-hmm. films it'll be interesting to see whether whilst he's churning these films out which are all kind of like hugely entertaining and some of them are like are straight to streaming, aren't they? It'd be interesting to see whether at some point it gets into any more meteor roles, but uh, we'll see. So shall we kick off with the oldie? Yep, the Poet Society. Dead Poet Society. So this was down as a comedy drama. So I think we chose drama for Dead Poet Society. Yep. And this movie came out in 1989, directed by Peter Weir, written by Tom Shulman, starring Robin Williams, Robert Sean Leonard, and Ethan Hawke. And it's, yeah, it's American teen comedy drama uh, set in this kind of 19... 19- 60 fictional boarding school called Welton Academy 
in the States. It's the story of a teacher, John Keating, who used to school there himself. He returns as a teacher and he has a particular style of teaching, which is very much at odds with the very strict conservative way in which everything operates at the school. And so whilst they're used to being subjected to the familiar strict methods of most of their teachers, this guy John Keating turns up and immediately when they walk into the class, he has their attention, he kind of walks in whistling and he just starts acting completely differently. And before we know it, he's really got them hooked on his passion for poetry, his passion for language, but more than that, his passion and motivation to help people be themselves, I suppose, find their own path, try to achieve you know, amazing, make their lives extraordinary, I think is one yeah. of the lines in it. And they've never seen anything like this before. You know, he's got them huddled around in a little group. He's got them ripping out pages of these very traditional paint-by-numbers uh, approach to poetry. He's got them out in the in the courtyard, you know, walking in really crazy ways to try and help them find their individuality. Whilst all this is going on, he's getting strange glances and looks from you know, the other teachers in the school, particularly one who, you know, he knows from his time when he was uh, there as a student. But the biggest thing he does is introduce his class to this club that he began when he was a student there, which is called the Dead Pert Society. And basically what happened was it was a chance for students to meet secretly outside of the school grounds, in this particular case, this cave, if you like, in a wood, um, where they used to get together and, and just pour over poetry, you know, have a laugh, but really uh, it's just an excuse, if you like, to kind of get together, have a party, share a mutual love so unbeknown to Keating, they all decide when he tells them that he did this in a class, they all decide to, to do it themselves, to start the club up again. And unbeknown to Keating, they're going off. And before we know it, there are girls being invited along and, you know, <laughs> you know they're smoking cigarettes. And it kind of escalates from what begins as quite a structured a study group, but, but it, it, it kind of gets more and more out of hand. And that's kind of based upon the different characters of the different students which this film is really about it's the effect Keating has on students who all therefore kind of unleash their own individuality which takes them all in different directions and the main story I mean we've got Neil who is this kind of grade a student who's has a very very strict father who expects him to you know be an Ivy League student and take a very conventional route, whereas Neil is kind of suppressing this desire he has to follow his real passion, which is acting. So, you know, Keating brings this passion out in him, for we know it. He's, you know, he's sneaking off and um, and performing in a local play without his father's knowledge. So you have that storyline, which is the main storyline, but then you also see characters like Todd, who rooms with Neil, who is played by Ethan Hawke, obviously very young Ethan Hawke. And he is, you know, he's like a mouse. He, he's, he's 
he's the quiet one. He's the one who doesn't want to open his mouth in class. He's got no confidence. And Keating brings that out of him. He forces that out of him. And he, he almost becomes, I mean, he becomes a father figure to, to many of them, but probably most closely with Todd. And then you've got Knox, who's this hopeless romantic who takes upon this mission once he, you know, he understands what poetry and language can do. He decides he's going to pursue this girl called Chrissy or Chris, I think her name is, who's this attractive cheerleader dating some jock in a local school. That's his mission. So we have that going on on the side. We've got Charlie, who's this kind of rebellious, almost like Ferris Bueller type student. He's the one that starts bringing the curls along to the to the group. You've got Cameron, who's this straight, who's the very straight lace swat, if you like, of the class, who, who kind of reluctantly buys into this whole new way of being taught. But you can tell deep down the last thing he wants is, is to kind of get in trouble. But it's Charlie's rebellious streak that really turns the film and turns the storyline. And that's basically when he takes things too far, when he publishes this article in the school newspaper, which demands that girls be admitted to Welton. And when he announces this to the group, they all can't believe it. You know, why didn't you tell us? You're going to blow our cover. Uh, you know, everyone's going to find out what we've been doing. And sure enough, that is what happens. So the, the very strict headmaster, Nolan, finds out about the society. And slowly it becomes clear to him that it's effectively down to Keating. And so from that moment on, everything unravels in everybody's lives. All these students are affected in different ways. And it's the fallout, I suppose, of that that packs the most powerful punch. One of the storylines in this is quite tragic. In terms of the film, it, I mean, every, most people will know Dead Pert Society, so many quotes in it. Who wouldn't want to have a teacher like that? I think it's the main reason Williams took the role, because he wished he had a teacher like that. It was, it was nominated at the Oscars for Best Director, Best Picture, Best Actor. It, it won the Oscar for Best Screenplay. It picked up a Best Film BAFTA as well. So I think it's one of those films that we all know about it, but potentially may not have revisited for some time. I actually watched this with a friend who obviously knew exactly what Dead Pert Society was. But when it came to that fallout at the end, he completely forgot about quite a major storyline. So, uh, and it's like often is the way when you watch this, you, you, you do forget about some things. So it was really quite refreshing from that point of view. I really liked it. It, it did exactly what it did the first time round for me. Tinged with an element of sadness, I suppose, obviously that Robin Williams is no longer with us. And, and we've reviewed other films on the podcast, uh, Good Morning Vietnam. We've talked about him a lot. And it just what an incredible presence he is on screen um, and, and no more so in this role. Anyway, I'll shut up. I liked it. What do you think, Sarah? Yeah, I mean, I was I was surprised that last week we found out it was, it was done in 1989. I, I think both of us thought it was in the 90s, didn't we? We maybe thought we were a little bit older when we watched it, maybe. Uh, I, I don't know. Um, I'm sure I watched this on like VHS or something, something like that. Uh, I don't think I actually managed to get to the cinema to watch this. Actually, I don't know what rating it is. Is it a 12 or is it these days or it's probably um a 15 back in the day, I would have thought, because it touches on some really tough topics abuse of alcohol and things like that to to suicide really which uh which is horrible really um my first thoughts when i first op- when the first opening scene 
uh, took place, uh, it, I did think very sorry for those ch- kids. I can't put myself in that position to send my children to to boarding school, but it must be really hard saying goodbye to your kids and then let them, you know, they're off for a term at school and then maybe you see them afterwards in the holiday period. Um, and some of them, you know, I think it was I think it was Todd's first uh, term there as well. So he was the new boy um, there and. That's probably why he was so quiet. But you get these all these little little ones as well that were that were going to off to boarding school. But what a fancy school it was! What amazing grounds and uh, classrooms they had. And um, you know, obviously Knox was keen to to draw in this this uh, this girl called Cress uh, from the local the other local high school. And um, a big contrast there. You know, all the big rah rahs around the the American football that they play, or you know, the sporting activities and very you know mixed boys girls. Whereas, you know, their environment was very much a male environment And pr- pretty much there wasn't very many women in this film at all um, I mean, it had Laura Flynn Boyle that you may know from Twin Peaks was in it uh, But to be honest, I, I couldn't pick her out uh, as a youngster in this film I don't know whether you could, Rob No, I couldn't It was only her? after learning afterwards that, you you know, you can pick her out And apparently in some of the yeah. kind of theatre scenes But apparently a lot of her stuff was cut out What she was yeah. originally in But I mean, I remember watching House Robert Sean Leonard played um, Wilson in House. And I remember him uh, very clearly, you know, when I first watched that series, thinking, oh, gosh, yes, he was in Dead Poets Society as Neil. And he's got a really, really sad story. Uh, It did bring me to tears again. I think all these films that we're watching from the 80s and 90s now are just um, hard. Some of them are quite hard hitting, unless they're real all out comedy, I think. Um, So, yeah, I mean, they all played it so well and Ethan Hawke so young um, in this film. It's his second, sorry, his third film in, he started off with Explorers. Um, this is in 1989. So Explorers was 1985. And then he did another one just up in between, which wasn't a huge success. But then we move into to the, the Poet Society where it really, I mean, Explorers raised his profile anyway, but this really raised it um, to be honest. And then he's gone, you know, done lots of other great films as well. And Robin Williams, yes, we have touched on Robin Williams before, but doesn't Robin Williams remind you a little bit in this in starting off in this film as as he did in Goodwill Hunting? And um I think the whole premise of the film actually I, I looked up I reckon J.K. Rowling got a lot of influence from this film for her Harry Potter series as well, because there was a lot of similarities, a lot of similar set designs, I would say, as well. So it could be the directors or the the um, designers could have got influence from this film as well. And if if you look on the internet for J.K. Rowling and the Poet Society, there are some discussions wrapped around that. So it wasn't just me that was thinking about that. Um, but generally, a yeah, great film. Um, it did plod a little bit for me in places, I'm going to be honest, but then it picked up again. It's quite a long film, but just under two hours. But generally, you know, what else can I say? I mean, you've said it all, really. Um, I think it's it's good to see all these different storylines coming from the, from the boys. And they just acted how you would think that a boarding school would act in some respects. They're a little bit lovey, I would say. With their mannerisms, I'm not sure how lovey the some um, you know like actorish style um, some boys um, schools are, but they were all a bit over the top on, on occasions. And but I think that stemmed from Neil. He wanted to be the actor, and that was his passion. And and I know that the father went to when he was at the premiere of the film. 
he saw, looked out across and saw another father that walked out of the cinema in absolute tears because he found out that this this other person was quite strict with their son. And what had happened in this film was was quite shocking. And I think that probably shook the audience in, the, in this films. But that, I mean, we shouldn't dwell on that because there's, there's so much other activities that, yeah, you haven't even mentioned, oh, Captain, my Captain as well. I know. Well, the carpe, carpe deal yeah, as we, well. Yeah, I was like, Completely baffled when you mentioned that last week. I was like, eh? I hadn't watched it since probably probably in the 90s. I don't think I... I didn't watch it when it first came out. I think I, it took me a couple of years before I watched it. But I, I, one other thing is I've noticed a lot of these... I think Ethan Hawke is really the only one out of all these people, and, and Robin Williams, the only two that made it into movies. Everybody else continued to TV series after this. So I mentioned, obviously, Robert Sean Leonard. You've got Just Charles as well, who played Knox, and he's done SWAT and Law and Order. But, I mean, going back to Robert Sean Leonard, he's, he's done uh, The Good Doctor, obviously likes being a doctor, and Blue Bloods, Law and Order. So he's done all that kind of jazz, but no movies since, I don't believe. Well, I... In my head, I got one of them confused with Chris O'Donnell, who was uh-huh. in Scent of a Woman with Al Pacino. For some reason in my head, I thought one of these guys, either the guy who plays uh, Charlie or the guy who played um, Knox. So, you know, you're right. None, none of them have gone on in, in no. movies anyway. And I thought Matthew Medine actually was, was Knox, but it's not. It's just Charles. So, 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 yeah, it's funny, isn't it? And then just one last thing is that River Phoenix was going to play Neil, but um, they thought he wouldn't be right for, for this role. So they gave it to someone with lesser known as, as Robert Sean Leonard. But he, you know, River Phoenix's career was kind of taken off really after. Was he, I think he performed in Stand By Me before that. I think it was 1986 was Stand By Me, if I recall. Let me just double check. Cold caller. I was right. 1986. Look at that. And um, yeah, I think he was becoming a too well-known name. And I think what the char- the people they've got in this film are lesser known. And certainly Robin Williams was was the big name in this film. I think what stood out for me was the hard-hitting themes that it addressed. I forgot it's almost like a film of two halves. The, the first half is quite entertaining in some ways. It was re- rebellious as well. They were, were turning yeah. to rebels. It was that kind of... The entrance, if you like, of Keating, you know, the entrance of Robin Williams and and all of his, you know, his comedic acting and the impressions he rolls out as he teaches the kids. It's inspiring and it's entertaining and it's quite light, even though that you learn that some of these boys have certain troubles, you know, and the excitement they all have for for, for setting up the club. What I didn't realise is the second half is really quite bleak and in actual fact i would say robin williams performance is nowhere near the same kind of you know when he's in his comedic entertaining best he's still quite reserved he he was going through a divorce at this particular time and apparently he was not cracking jokes he wasn't really you know chatting to the cast and crew much you know in other words not the usual behavior you'd expect and i i kind of think that kind of comes across i think the comparison with goodwill hunting is yeah it's impossible to ignore i thought it looked beautiful the scottish heritage as well of yes of the history of the school which which comes out almost in the the grounds, the way the grounds are filmed with mist coming up 
bagpipes playing and it, 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 I mean someone who's got no interest in, at all in public school but there was something about it that was very watchable you know had a certain beauty to it in a strange way and Peter Weir a nice little story that I read was he tried to take advantage of that the, the scenes in the film where it's snowing one particular scene where the character of Todd runs out, Ethan Hawke, and kind of delivers this monologue in front of the friends in the snow. That was never intended to be filmed outside. It was supposed to be filmed inside. It started snowing, and Peter Weir thought, let's just go for it. We'll just go outside. We'll have to do it in one take because of the light and all this kind of stuff, and he, and he nailed it. It's nice to kind of hear those things when you then watch it. Yeah, it was really, it was just really, really powerful. I don't think we should touch on the the main, main no. storyline. But for me, the way in which a key scene was handled, I thought was done incredibly well, incredibly yeah. powerful. Yeah, it was. And you kind of watch this film thinking, what's it? I mean, obviously, it's there to kind of almost show how people, especially kids, can almost get stuck in the environment they're in and channeled and molded in a particular direction. In this particular case, obviously their academic direction and public school and the confines of that and the conformity that everyone has to go to. And obviously that's what Keating goes in to kind of poke at. You come away from it thinking, does it paint the public school life in the way it was at least depicted in this film in a good light? In actual fact, John Keating was warned very early on by one of the other teachers who he had a friendship with, mm, yeah. who Keating put over his opinion on his teaching methods and what it's all, you know, why it's important that people should be individual. And the other teacher basically says it works for some, but it can only really lead one way. Not 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 all individuals can kind of handle that in a certain environment. And I remember when I saw heard that line, I was watching that. I thought, well, he's he's right. Keating's methods, however noble, are going to be a, of benefit to some of those students, but they're not going to be of benefit to others. Yeah, uh, and you kind of come away thinking it's just sad because you can argue that people get trapped in themselves, the environment they're in, the path they're on, whether it's school or whatever. And it's difficult to break free. It's all very well saying, be yourself, go on this path. It's all very well someone saying that. It's easy to do and you can get inspired. But in doing so, there's obviously a lot of collateral fallout if you do kind mm. of forge your own path. And I think that that's what this film is kind of exploring. Yeah. I mean, on that, I mean, teachers got, have got the power to, to really inspire and influence. I really have. I was at a girls' school. And I had a teacher that I had no idea what I wanted to do with my, my career or anything. And, and I had a female design technology teacher. Um, her name was Mrs. Quigley. And she basically, she I don't think she was there for very long. I think she was only there for a year at my school. But she inspired me um, because it was a very, usually a, ma a male sort of environment. I think that I was thinking that design technology and design looked like but she changed um my class's perception of that and took us to open days for, for universities and just really opened my mind and and said Sarah you're good at that 
And that's what inspired me to go off and do industrial design. And then I went into marketing, et cetera, et cetera. It's all down to her. And she probably, I, 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 you know, I'm not in touch with her or anything, but she probably had no idea that she inspired me to do what I do today. That is so true. And I think, you know, I think that's one of the things, the great thing about this film, you don't have to be from public school to understand this film. No, 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 of course you don't. Of course you don't, because every... Everyone probably remembers a teacher who had an influence, the one that stood out, however little, how it was, you know, and, you know, that's what this is tapping into too. And and this is a completely, going off on a completely different tact here, but the influence of teachers, and you're right, the responsibility teachers have as well. It's, it's, you know, there's an amazing clip out there on social. I'm sure you can track it down. And you don't necessarily have to be a football fan to to watch this and but it, it ties into what i are saying there's this amazing clip of ian wright the you know ex-arsenal england football player he came onto the scene you know and, and and suffered a lot of racist abuse being you know a very famous black footballer and he you know he, he very much fights for that speaks his mind about that there's an amazing clip you can find and of oh, i think it was it. a few years ago where mm-hmm. he's being interviewed you know, a football ground. And unbeknown to him, his old teacher has been invited along and you don't see him, he's out of shot. But Ian Wright looks to the side off camera and sees his teacher. Oh my God, the, he just shuts down. He goes to a different yeah. place. And you can see, and then, you know, he walks in, he's like, he cannot believe this teacher was still alive, he's there. But you can see just how much this teacher meant to him. And I think that, I, I don't know why that came, it, it just suddenly came to me when you were talking about the influence mm. of teachers and how everyone's yeah. got someone, even if it's not a Robin mm. Williams or, not, you know, like yeah. someone this big. And, and that maybe that's what is the most endearing thing and mm. that we connect to when we, when we watch the movie. Yeah, there is the flip side. There are some bad teachers. Oh, there's plenty of bad teachers. <laughs> oh, um, and, and some teachers that you really, really do not want to meet ever again. No, that's absolutely true. <laughs> so anyway, I'm not going to name any yeah. names there. But Peter Weir, um, just to, just the last thing, Peter Weir. Amazing. I mean, if you look at look at it, I mean, he did Dead Poets Society. He's done, um, before that, he did Mosquito Coast, and that's River Phoenix was in that, and that's probably why he thought he might get this role for, for Dead Poets Society. He did Witness, he did Gall- uh, Gallipoli, I can never say it, Gallipoli. Gallipoli, one Gallipoli. of my favourite films, amazing. Um, oh, right, I haven't seen it, actually. Green oh, Card, incredible. he's done, he's done Fearless, Truman Show, Master and the Commander. I watched The Way Back as well, and so, yeah, I mean, I didn't realise he'd done all these films. And one thing that... Robin Williams said is that Peter Weir was his favourite director of all time. Oh, that's right. And, that's cool. and he's got, I believe, to, I think I read, a captain, my captain is on his gravestone. Oh, really? That's, that's amazing. That's yeah. really amazing. Especially talking yeah. about like how people are influenced by other people. That's really yeah. touching. This was going to be a short one, Rob. We've oh, actually spoken a lot. But when you talk about school and all that kind of jazz, you do you sort of reflect on your own experiences don't you as well absolutely right but yeah let you say peter we're amazing he doesn't direct anymore but he's got an incredible back catalogue anyway okay well we could talk and talk and talk i'm going to give it i'm going to give it nine out of ten and i I, the reason i'm not going to give it more 
was because there was one part of the film, which is the very finale, uh, which involves all of the students in the class and John Keating. Uh, I won't say any more. I just found it a little bit too on the nose, a little bit too cheesy, whereas it almost felt just a little bit out of place because it never veered into that territory for the rest of the film. But I, every time I see a film from this era with Robin Williams, mm, mm. I just love him more and more. I've, I've forgotten just how good an actor he is. So, yeah, nine out of ten. Yeah, I'm going to give it nine out of ten as well. I was debating where to get eight and a half because it did plod at one point and there was a bit of a, a rah-rah lovey sort of moment how they were acting. It looked like there was good acting generally, but there was a, a, a piece where there was like, would that really actually happen? Yeah. Yeah. But um, yeah, nine out of ten for me. I, I think great director Robin Williams is great and look at where these, these um, young men have now gone. Uh, they they're doing very well in their careers, and I think it's uh, it was great to see them as youngsters. Cool, right? Let's move on then. Koda, yeah, Koda means children of deaf adults. It's directed by Sean Heder, who won an Oscar for the film, and also Troy Coetzer, uh recently won Best uh, Supporting Actor. We've got Amelia Jones, who is fantastic. And we've got Marley and Matlin. And you've got Daniel Durant as well. But everybody, apart from Ruby, has got hearing impairment or fully deaf. So they, they basically sign language to each other. I don't know whether they can lip read. I don't think they can because they rely on, on Ruby to be like their translator. And you've got Troy or Frank. He plays Frank and, and Daniel plays Leo, the son. And they are fishermen. And Ruby goes with them to, to make sure that somebody can hear out in case there's any problems, um, any alarms, or if there's any police nearby and, and can warn them when they need to head back and things like that. And they really need her as part of their fishing business. However, they get paid next to nothing. And because they de- they're deaf, as well, the the owner of the company, where who they fish for, tries to take uh, liberties and 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 basically gives them a, a lesser cut than what he gives the other fishermen who are who are can hear, which I think is shocking actually when you see that. So there's this this business side that you see in this film, and you can see the family side as well, but then you also see a lot of charm about this film because there's some very hilarious moments in this film, especially when um, Ruby has a a boyfriend, well, not boyfriend at the time, but a friend comes over and uh, they do, you don't always need, you don't need subtitles to to know what they're talking about. I think it's hilarious what some of the, the, um, the sign language, American sign language, what they do there. But with the business side, they decide to, to eventually go out on their own to sell their own produce that they bring in and get more money in that way. And then they start raising their profile through, through the media as well. But at the same time, Ruby, she's got amazing singing voice, which obviously uh, Jackie, Frank and Leo, her family, I've not heard her voice. They don't know what she sounds like. And, and, and it's, they're bewildered that she's got this amazing voice. So she goes to college, she goes and joins this, um, this choir and the the person that leads the choir 
shows a, a real interest in her and I think she'll be great at, uh, I think it's Berkeley College and uh, wants to try and get her to audition to join the college for the following year because she's in her final year at, at high school, I guess. And she meets this chap also in, in this choir and he's got a great voice and they start singing together. So there's a little bit of cheese going on with the film. It's it's a lovely movie. It's a boy meets girl coming of age movie, but it's also raising your awareness of how the challenges of being deaf at the same time. And it's really interesting to hear it from that perspective. You can hear right now, my children in the background are making a hell of a noise if you can, if you can hear it. However, so are deaf people apparently. They're very noisy. <laughs> <laughs> and they emphasize that in the film, and it's hilarious. Uh, some of the some of the scenes that they've got in this film. Um, so I'm going to hand over to you. I haven't really described it too well, but Rob, I'd love to get your thoughts on it. It's just a very very charming film. Yeah, like you say, it shines a light on the challenges of one family's plight to fit in to their community. You know, of hearing people. And that's how that's how the mum refers to her friends who can hear, I think, the hearing people. And they kind of keep themselves to themselves. They they feel like they don't belong. The family almost has a reputation for that. And it's really a story of how Ruby is trapped. Mm, It's fascinating. First of all, it's fascinating that in this family, she's the only one who doesn't have any hearing impairment. So the thing she grapples with is that there she is, whose passion for singing is realized by this inspiring music teacher who basically convinces her that she has a talent and she should pursue this talent and, and is giving her a way out, is giving her this incredible opportunity. And yet, whilst she desperately wants to do that, she feels obliged to always be there for her family because that's kind of been her role from a business point of view, at least, in terms of she's the one that communicates with the hearing community. And she's trapped. She finds it frustrating at times, but she has an incredible tie and a bond, of course, to her family. You've got her mum and dad's who she finds incredibly frustrating. They don't mind showing their affection, let's just say that. Um, <laughs> her older brother, you know, he has challenges as well. He's He thinks that, you know, they don't need Ruby. Let me be the one to take this business and let me be the one to be the spokesman, let's just say, of the family. It doesn't matter if we don't have someone like Ruby to help us communicate. We can We can do it on our own. And yet the parents don't feel that way. So there's lots of different challenges and obstacles that all of the family had to deal with and yet their bond is so incredibly strong that that's really the theme that runs through it and yeah I kind of it's hard not to engage emotionally with Ruby's situation you know and the music teacher who gets incredibly frustrated that Ruby's turning up late to classes he has no idea of the life and challenges she's juggling because she doesn't want she doesn't want to admit that she's almost ashamed of that and and it all just yeah it culminates into an incredibly uplifting ending I think which is what's so rewarding about the film it is that ultimately it's optimistic it kind of works out I mean and that's not a spoiler it's just it's just no. a film did it, think, did it bring you to tears <laughs> 
It did for me. Yeah, again. it did. There was one scene where I I was, yeah, I was gone. I was gone before. I mean, there's a scene where she sings on stage towards the end. And uh, I mean, and again, we won't talk about it, but there's it's beautifully done. There's, there's a, mm. there's a, she's singing and then she stops and then she carries on singing and something happens and I was gone. Um, <laughs> and, and it's not surprising in some ways that this film won Best Picture because the opposition really for Best Picture probably was coming from Power of the Dog. Yes, there was June and Belfast, but I think Power of the Dog was expected to be up there. But you couldn't have two films at more chalk and cheese. I mean, the Power of the Dog is this intense brooding, dealing with quite taboo. Whereas this film, although it was bringing to light quite a, a sensitive issues around a deaf community that we don't need, normally see on mainstream cinema. I would still say it was a kind of a feel-good movie with quite a lot of kind of entertainment and light in there. There's, there's yeah. not there's not that much darkness, and for that, I, I'm really grateful it won Best Picture because I, I think a film trying to do what this film does is the first Oscar-nominated film. I think it's Oscar-nominated. It might not be any mainstream film. I think it's Oscar-nominated film where the subtitles were burnt in throughout. So as as Sarah said, there are plenty of scenes with Ruby and you know people in it who aren't deaf, but the entire film is subtitled. Uh, and that's because that's their statement to say, this is for the deaf community. This film is a homage to the deaf community. And so it doesn't even matter, like if, if there's scenes which don't involve deaf people, it's for the deaf audience. No one's ever made a film for them. But the way in which it's made, the storyline, the characters, the universal themes just apply to anybody. And so yeah, it, it was just one of those films where it just kind of washed over you. It's it just like a gentle breeze that just had loads of really, you know, just inspiring characters. And yeah, just enough dark to make the uplifting bits very touching. I think Amelia Jones was brilliant in it. I had no idea that Marley Matlin, who played Jackie Rossi, or indeed Troy Kotso, who played Frank, the parents, I didn't realise their pedigree as actors until I kind of looked into it afterwards. But... Uh, it's just a really, really nice, I don't want to sound patronising, but just a, it was just a really nice watch. <laughs> yeah, it's quite funny, actually. Troy Kotzer is in uh, The Mandalorian recently as well. He's done quite, yeah, he's done a lot, actually. And I know that Marley uh, Maslin, she's, she's certainly done quite a few films, but also TV. And I think she speaks in those as well because she's even done Family Guy as Stella. So yes. she does voiceovers as well. She's done quite a lot of comedic stuff as well. Yeah, like say. yeah. so she obviously can speak, but has some hearing impairment as well. I really liked it. I thought it's got a real nice feel-good movie to it. And it's simple. It was simple, but thought-provoking at the same time. And it opened my eyes to how those with hearing impairments um, live their day-to-day life and, and those that live with those that got deaf parents or family members as well. So, yeah, um, I, oh, I've toyed with this. I really don't know what to give it. I'm going to give it a 10. Wow. I'm going to give it a 10. I really liked it and I would like to watch it again. And probably the Poets Society as a comparison, for example, I've watched that. I'll watch that probably again in like 10, 15 years time. This film I'd like to watch tomorrow. I, I, I really liked it and I thought great acting. I think we're going to see a lot more of Amelia Jones as well. And uh, yeah, I loved it. I thought it was really sweet. Wow. I wasn't expecting that. 
Um, I wasn't expecting it either. I wasn't sure how I would, whether I'd like it or not, but I loved it. And it's, it's funny because I, I know I gave 10 to Sound of Metal and that had a big impact on me as well. So, but this is slightly different. This has got more charm. This yes. is a family film. Uh, however, there are adult content in it as well. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> which made me really laugh out loud. It was hilarious. That's interesting. You say it's a family film. I mean, it's twelve A, and you're you're you're, yeah. you're, you're right. An adult you're, family film. An it's adult fa- family. You're right. Yeah. Hmm. It's interesting. You said it's very simple, and you, I think it's a very interesting way to describe it because it is very simple. Like it doesn't have any massively huge emotional kind of arcs in it. It goes in a direction that you can obviously see that the final third of the film isn't like jaw-droppingly dramatic, but mm. equally that that's almost part of its charm. You know, it, it just mm. does what it does very well, and it's very delicate. I don't know. Sorry, I'm reviewing it and not giving it a score. Uh, I'm going to give it nine and a half. <laughs> the only, but, but you've made me. You've made me now want to watch it again because. As I say, I came away from it thinking couldn't fault it, but it didn't have quite the emotional punch I was expecting. But I, you know, if I was to say that's a minor criticism, I think it might be misplaced. I know I do this quite a lot, but I, I maybe I'm unsure whether it should be actually full marks. So I, I think I, I think I should probably watch this again, and, I, and it may well deserve more credit than I'm giving it. Mind you, I mean it's nine and a half. <laughs> Listen, listen to me rambling on about this. Sorry, short That's answer. Short, short answer. Nine and a half. All Nine right. and a half. <laughs> and that's a blooming good score as well, isn't it? It is. It is. So, I mean, you can't, you know, other than ten, you can't get much better than that. So, right. so very good. So, yeah, definitely one to watch. I think we're going to see a lot more of these actors as well. So, great film. Wonderful. Right. So. Next film for that's out at the movies or at the cinema or on streaming. What have we got? Well, the newbie's going to be the second film in the franchise Sonic the Hedgehog, Sonic the Hedgehog 2. Yeah, and guess what? It's got seven out of out of ten in IMDb right now. So it's actually deemed as fairly quite good. <laughs> and I'm Jim, watching at the cinema tomorrow. It's got, it's got Jim Carrey in it. I mean, for God's sake. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I really enjoy I really enjoyed the first one. I, 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 t- I went to see the first one with the kids and I, I actually was quite surprised. I, I really wasn't expecting anything particularly amazing because apparently they had loads of problems with those loads of delays to getting the whole animation right of, of Sonic and all that kind of stuff. But I thought it looked amazing. And I, and I just thought Jim Carrey was just really entertaining in it. Um, okay, so when the manic Dr. Robotnik returns to Earth with a new ally, Knuckles the Echidna who everyone will know from the game, uh, Sonic and his new friend Tails is all that stands in their way. And so at the time of recording, we're just at the start of the Easter holidays. Um, and so I imagine lots of families will be going to watch it. Yeah, yeah. And if you haven't seen the first Sonic, you can watch it on Netflix as well. It's streaming oh, there on go. there at the moment. And then you can go and watch it at the cinema afterwards. Right. So, uh, so yeah, looking forward to that. And the old Then you're choosing one of mine, aren't you? Yeah. What have we got left? Okay, right. Russell, 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 Russell. The genre is fantasy. Fantasy? Oh, gosh. I don't think I've got many fantasies. Well, 
I mean, you know, not, not, none clean enough to share on this podcast. Oh, gosh. I've only got two, three, four. What makes it easy? Six. I will go with number three. Number three is Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone. Is that the first? Is that the first one? Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, that it's interesting that you were saying that Harry Potter, you think, was in part. Yes, good point. Actually, by, uh, so we can. There we go. Yeah. I, so I, Harry it's Potter. only after you mentioned that I thought, yeah, I could imagine that. So this is the first of the franchise. Oh my god, this is two thousand and one. 21 years ago Uh, An orphan boy Do I need to read this? An orphan boy enrolls in a school of wizardry Where he learns the truth about himself, his family And the terrible evil that haunts the magical world Of course, based on the J.K. Rowling novels Starring Daniel Radcliffe Rupert Brint (laughs) Richard Harris Maggie Smith, listen to this. Robbie Coltrane, incredible. Richard Griffiths, oh, Warwick Davis, Vern Troyer, John Hurt. I mean, it's a who's who of the. Have you said Emma Watson? Yeah. Do you know what I haven't said? And Emma Watson. Interestingly, when you look at the cast and IMDb, yeah. it's got like top cast. And she's I've not just, on it. I've just been scrolling across and I haven't got to Emma Watson yet. She's a bit She's strange. on the W. She's on the W. <laughs> Isn't that weird, though? That, that... It's alphabetical order, no, but Radcliffe it's, it's was... Not, it's not even alphabetical. It's just the way that you, scroll, you scroll through them. I think Emma Watson should have a word with INDB. That's not yeah, right. That's not right at all. She's Directed one of by... the top three stars in, in it. Uh, she's done all right. Um, mm-hmm. Directed by Chris Columbus. So there you go. And, and where... Can we watch it? So it is streaming on now cinema and Virgin Go, but you can rent and buy it from most other platforms. But I think a lot of people may already have seen it or have also probably got it on DVD or Blu-ray or whatever as well. Is uh, what's his chop? Is Hans Gruber in in the first one? Hans Gruber. Yeah, you know Hans Gruber from um, I can't remember his name now. <laughs> Hans Gruber from Die Hard. Oh, you mean um, Alan Rickman? Yeah. <laughs> Alan Rickman's through all of it, isn't he? Well, this is it. I mean, I haven't. I mentioned the cast, and I didn't even mention Sli- Alan Rickman either. I know. Yeah, Hans Gruber. I can't believe you called him Hans Gruber. I was thinking, who's Hans Gruber? I know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, one of many good J.K. Rowling films. So, but I'm intrigued, actually. To I think we should just... Look at it as just that film, though. I think it's a good idea. To be honest, I, I haven't seen all of them anyway. I think I've seen mm. the first two or three. I think that's a good yeah. way to look at it. Cool. Right. right. Well, this podcast may not actually hit the uh, <laughs> airways for a while, but we can still talk about our Easter plans. I'm going away to the Lake District for a long weekend. Oh, that's very nice. Good, isn't it? Yeah. And walking and things like that. There will be walking involved. It's kind of inevitable, sadly. No, I'm only joking. I love walking the Lake District, except I've got two small children that uh, you say walking and they're, they're immediately... Like, yeah, it won't be far. Running to, ...running to their rooms. Do we have to walk? Do we have to walk? <laughs> and you're out and they go, really like this. 
Yeah, exactly. <laughs> hey, check this out, though. Maybe a boat trip or something. The yeah. cottage we're going to, and it's not, mm-hmm. you know, there's quite a lot of people going, family, friends, lots of teenagers, no Wi Fi. <gasps> How are dun, the children going to cope? I know. Actually, I quite like it when you go on holidays, no yeah. Wi Fi. It's going to be good. My, Look, my, my boys are addicted to their mobile phones and, and Wi Fi. But, yeah, it would be yeah. nice just to switch off the phones for a bit. Yeah, that would be great. And I'm just um, I'm visiting the in-laws and then uh, we're going to see my parents and maybe a trip down to the beach might be quite nice. So nice. a week off. So looking forward to that. Good stuff. And I hope you feel better. I mean, you, oh, you, you I'm sound, sounding you, better. You yeah, sound way better. I mean, I don't think I, I can't tell you on top form. Well, I wasn't so top yesterday. <laughs> behind a couple of about a week ago, I started. So, anyway, all right. But well, um, thank you very much, listeners. Yep. Yeah, Angie, have a good one, and uh, we'll we'll be back very very soon. Bye. Bye.